Hello, wonderful people. A long time ago now, I started a series on uncomfortable feelings. I covered anger and sadness, anxiety, and I think you can find all these still on the episode list for this podcast. And I wanted to round off the uncomfortable feelings exploration with a final one, joy. This one feels like the odd one out on the list. Why is joy uncomfortable? And yet that's the story I hear fairly often from my TCK clients. There's something dangerous about joy. Something frightening. And it can make it really difficult in the growing through therapy process because so often what our conscious mind is seeking is more joy. And so we do all the work and we allow ourselves opportunities for joy and then suddenly there's this wave of fear around it, a kind of repulsion and well I suppose I often call it a kickback. There's a kickback to feeling joy that can be very confusing in the therapeutic process. It can make you feel like you're doing it all wrong, like you're taking one step forward and two steps back. It can make it feel like you're triggering yourself or just failing at being happy. So I thought it would be useful to unpack some of the reasons I'm seeing for that in my work with third culture kids and and hopefully that might be of some use to you if you're finding similar kickbacks showing up for you. There's something about experiencing happiness. I find that for me it often can sneak up on me unawares. I'm busy, 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 working, 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 doing the important stuff of life and busy feeling tired, busy feeling slightly overwhelmed and then suddenly there's a moment of, ah, life is good. A moment of, I've built this life, I've made these good things happen or everything seems to be going quite well. Everything seems to be aligning. I'm having a a good time. And then the kickback. What am I missing? What am I missing? And I hear this echoed in other people's experience as well. And I, I put this down to high vigilance. If you've grown up with a life that is constantly changing where good things don't last or even and I see this particularly perhaps in third culture kids raised in very religious backgrounds religious organizations or families there can be particularly in the protestant tradition um, a a christian tradition around self-examination Not taking surface feelings for granted, but really kind of 
putting the soul under a microscope and routing out anything unseemly that might be found there. And we can do this in a high vigilant space too, a, a space that comes from trauma, where whether we're religious or whether we're secular, um, in, in experience and in our story, there can be this sense of I've got to route out any of the dangers. And we become very sensitive to predictors of danger. Feeling content, feeling happiness can be a predictor of danger in as much as we feel ourselves relaxing, letting our guard down. We feel ourselves almost bodily putting ourselves in increased danger by assuming we're not in danger, which is feeling ourselves to be happy and at peace and safe. So even feeling safe can register for us as dangerous. Does that make sense? Feeling happiness can frighten us because it can remind us that we're probably missing something. If we're feeling this straightforwardly happy, we've missed spotting a vital clue as to what's coming for us. And if we miss that, we can't prepare for it. And if we can't prepare for it, we're doomed. It can feel that intense. And there's the kickback. And it gets us right back into a state of heightened adrenaline, heightened anxiety. And with me, the way that looks is scouring my to-do list for something I've forgotten to do. And every now and again, we get a really helpful reinforcement for that. Sometimes we do forget something on our to-do list. We forget to pay a bill or we forget to get back to that, that email that was really important. And a high vigilant brain is going to grab onto that data and go, see, when you let your guard down, you know, last Tuesday when you gave yourself a night off and you really enjoyed yourself watching TV or baking or hanging out with friends that's when your happiness let the side down. You should have been more on top of things. Does this resonate with anybody listening? Another reason that joy can be really complicated and uncomfortable for us is because a lot of TCKs, in my experience, grow up with a sense of almost survivor's guilt. A lot of us grow up in our time abroad at least registering our relative privilege. This isn't a bad thing to know that we're privileged. In fact, it's crucial to our sense of belonging and awareness of community in the world around us. But what it can leave us with is a sense of I know what suffering can look like and I'm not going through that. So where do I get off being happy while the people I care about are struggling? And there's a sense of um, allyship and care that can lock us into shame, actually, around enjoying the goodness 
uh, in our own lives. I shouldn't be happy because other people aren't. And then there's this other joy thief that I've observed. It's been written about in various places, but I think it's worth saying again that there can be this thread of fatalism that a lot of us experience as third culture kids. A sense of not really having much control over our lives. Um, And I think that's an obvious, there's an obvious source for that, right? If we grow up and change happens regularly and it's never at our bidding, it's always an external force that determines how long we're in a country, what schools we go to, um, what languages we, we speak or don't speak, then we can grow up very good at adapting, but less good at feeling master of our own stories, right? But this has an impact on when we feel joy. Something that I notice is that we can disown the joy we're feeling. Life's feeling really good right now. I'm not sure how that happened. And you hear the lack of ownership in that statement. Almost a conscious disassociation from any part we might have played with setting that up. And I do wonder if there's an element in there of needing to disassociate from that joy so that it doesn't feel quite as personal when it's taken away. And you'll notice that I use when, not if. Because there's one thing that we often know for sure as third culture kids, right? And that is change is coming. So we don't assume that the joy is going to stay. And we don't want to count on it. And we don't want to claim it as ours. Because then we've lost part of us too. I wonder if any of this resonates for you. I'd love joy to feel the most natural feeling in the world for me, for everybody I work with, for every TCK listening. If I was going to do a Miss Universe here, for everybody in the world. And I think there are ways that we can tackle this. Any of our feelings that we've learned to experience as uncomfortable or bad, we've learned that. Which means, presumably, that we can learn something else about them. We can retrain our brains. One thing I find really helpful and I've used off and on in the past is a app called, oh, here we go, what's it called? Gratitude, Gratitude app. It's a little square with a flower, a little line drawing of a flower. The flower is a heart shape. And I don't use it as a gratitude app. I think a lot of us have ambivalent feelings to being told to be grateful for our lives. um, And I'm one of them. What I do use it as is a kind of log. I can use this off and on when I want to log the mundane daily experiences of joy that I can easily forget. 
It's said that the brain absorbs negative experiences and holds on to those in our memory much more effectively than positive ones. And that's not just to make our life harder. It's a precaution. Our brain, in order to help us survive, um, prioritises remembering danger experiences. Um, It's more important to remember that fire burns in terms of helping our body to survive, than it is to remember we really love butterflies. That's fine. That's a survival thing. It has its use. Um, But it can mean that if we've grown up feeling a lot of strain, feeling a lot of challenge and transition, that we've got quite a lot of danger sign experiences to log, and perhaps less on the I like butterflies side of things. So consciously noticing what we're enjoying moment by moment throughout the day can really even out those logbooks. For me, that that can be one way into this can be using all the senses. What am I enjoying? Smelling, eating, touching, feeling, hearing, seeing. Um, how am I engaging with the world around me? Did I like my coffee this morning? Was the porridge particularly nice? Um, what about the clothes I'm wearing? Those daily mundane joys. And the other reason for logging these is that they're less high stake. So if we have a slight kickback reaction to feeling something that's really core to us, like, oh my goodness, I'm having a moment of personal fulfillment here, then the kickback is often equally intense. Noticing I like my outfit today, our brain is going to register that as less dangerous, less something we need to worry about in terms of survivor's guilt, less concerned it's going to be taken away. So it's a way of building up muscle in that area. It can feel like little things, but it's precisely the littleness of those things that can introduce our brain to more safe ways of experiencing joy. But these safe ways accumulate. Another thing I'd encourage you to do is to notice when you've made the joy happen. If your coffee tasted good today, add that onto the list of things you're good at. I made that coffee. It's a subtle shift, but it's a way of saying to your brain, the coffee didn't just happen to me and what coffee giveth one day, coffee can taketh away another. It's a way of saying, I can make good things happen in my life. If I had a good time with a friend, maybe I can take 50% of the credit for that. I was there. I was part of making that a good time. And we start to feed into our sense of identity, a sense of who we are. And that can really increase our sense of safety because if we've made the joy happen, we fear less the foibles of change. I'm less worried about a friend suddenly feeling like they had a bad time with me if I'm growing my sense of being somebody that people have a good time with because I'm logging that consciously. I wonder how all this lands. I'm looking at my list and thinking, you know what, there's there's other things here too, but I feel like I've thrown a lot into this actually. 
And maybe this is enough for today. I talk sometimes about finding settledness in our own sense of self. And joy fits here too, I think. If joy isn't something that happens to you by accident, but is something you generate, that makes you a powerhouse. That makes you so strong. If you know the things that bring you joy, you can make those happen. This morning I woke up in the worst mood. Okay, I'm exaggerating. I've had worse moods than this morning. But I grew up. Fe- I grew up. I woke up feeling like I'd already messed the day up. That's not an unfamiliar feeling for me, and I think it's part of the way my brain protects me from expecting too much of the day. Don't be disappointed, love. It's already terrible. But it's not particularly helpful, and I've learnt that spending time in a special little space in my room, lighting a candle and journaling how I'm actually feeling, and just listening to music that makes me happy, that five minutes of that can turn my whole day around. Just a conscious engaging with myself, and I resisted it for a full 30 minutes. I resisted joy. But I did drag myself in there and it did turn my day around. And I'm getting better at it. There are reasons I resist joy. There will be reasons you resist joy. And there are ways around this. Our poor brains have sometimes been through quite a lot. And sometimes they need nudging towards goodness. And I really hope you find a way today of nudging your brain towards goodness. Because you deserve that, each and every one of you. Thank you for listening. Bye.